Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, good afternoon, friends, and happy Pipeline Nationalization Day. How are you feeling? We've got uh, an announcement. We've got a resolution. We've got uh, something to talk about today that doesn't involve the death of this project. But is this the way we wanted this resolved? Is this the outcome we were looking for here? You know, I don't think it is. So I'm, you know, I go to admit, I'm, I'm worried about this. I don't think this is the way we get big projects like this built in this country. I mean, are we setting a dangerous kind of precedent here where this is how it has to go? That we just look to government to be the ones to build these things. And then hopefully maybe somebody comes along after the fact and says, oh, sure, we'll take that. And if not, then we're, we're kind of stuck with it. I mean, look, there, there is a need for this pipeline. There is an economic case for this pipeline. You know, whatever the, the detractors might say, I mean, Andrew Weaver in B.C. was an example of that the other day, uh, going on about how there really is no economic case for this pipeline and uh, Kinder Morgan's just looking for an excuse to get out, which is silly. A, an, a completed operational pipeline to the West Coast is a valuable asset, is going to make money. There are shippers who are eager to have their product shipped through this pipeline if we can get it built. And even here still today, it is an if. Now, this is better than the alternative, I suppose. Because I think there were a lot of people who suspected that maybe this was the government's plan all along. Just to allow this project to wither on the vine, uh, Kinder Morgan walks away and uh, we get one big collective shrug and then we move on. But that didn't happen today. So at least maybe we can put that notion to rest. The government's not prepared, at least at this point, to see the project die. Maybe that'll still happen at some point after billions of taxpayer dollars are sunk into this, mind you. So we got a lot to parse today regarding this announcement. So we are going to hear coming up after one o'clock from economist Trevor Toome. We've reached out to some other people. Now, you might be wondering, why is the finance minister making this announcement today? Where is Justin Trudeau? Where is the prime minister? This should have been the prime minister front and center today. Well, the prime minister will be speaking in about an hour with Bloomberg News. Bloomberg News is then going to make that available to other media outlets. So that's how the prime minister has chosen to address this today, not to be the one making the announcement, not to hold a news conference, but to do an interview with a specific media outlet, and then everybody else will get uh, access to it. So there's an additional embargo of an hour on top of that. So sometime after 2.30 this afternoon, we'll be able to play for you the prime minister's comments. 
and what he has to say about this uh, about this project and this announcement today. So that's coming up later. Plenty of time for your reaction as well. 403-974-8255. But let's begin today with uh, the leader of the official opposition, conservative leader Andrew Shear, joins us on the line. Mr. Shear, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks very much for having me on. So big announcement today. Uh, let me just get your initial reaction to what the finance minister outlined this morning. Well, this is a very sad day for the Canadian energy sector and for Canadian taxpayers. It's come to this. You know, uh, before 2015, Canada's energy sector was able to see big projects proposed, scrutinized, approved, and completed. Uh, now it takes a big nationalization project, a $4.5 billion minimum bailout. Uh, and all that has changed in that time is that Justin Trudeau has become prime minister. Uh, it shouldn't, it, taxpayers shouldn't have to bail out Justin Trudeau's failed energy policies. And even today, after the announcement, we have no idea what the true costs will be. And we have no certainty that the political roadblocks that have been put in place of this project uh, will be uh, uh, addressed. So uh, I don't see this as, uh, as a positive development to send signals around the world that Canada is now a place where you need to partner with the federal government in this kind of way, I, I think sends a, a terrible signal. Yeah, it, I think it does. Uh, is this better than the alternative, the alternative being Kinder Morgan walks away and the pipeline dies? Well, you know, I, I don't accept that that was the only option. I, I think the option, a uh, third option was that uh, months ago, the, the, the government, the Prime Minister could have sat down with Kinder Morgan and said, here's my roadmap to getting this project built. Uh, Kinder Morgan wasn't asking for taxpayers' money. This is not a question of, of, of a, a bankrupt country needing a bailout to keep a project afloat. This is about a, a very profitable company that wants to use shareholders' money to, to invest in this. And I think that had the government focused on providing that certainty of expediting any jurisdictional issues to the Supreme Court to get certainty on that very quickly, um, you know, uh, uh, supporting the, 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 the declaration uh, of federal jurisdiction on this and, and legislating on that to clearly define where that starts and stops, um, uh, committing to, to start over on their regulatory changes because everyone has acknowledged in the energy sector that their new bill to overhaul the, energy, the regulatory process has had a terrible effect on confidence in, in that sector. Those are some things that, that might have enticed uh, Kinder Morgan to stick around and, and stick it out and, and give them confidence to stay. And instead, we got into this binary world where uh, the option is to use taxpayers' money or, or watch the project fail. And I don't, I don't accept that. Well, I mean, if, if that roadmap exists, if, if there is the path to that certainty, a path to construction, could it have been used to get Northern Gateway built when, when your party was in government? And might that have precluded the need for Trans Mountain in the first place? Well, that's an excellent question, and, and it bears repeating that it was this Liberal government that killed Northern Gateway. Northern Gateway was not blocked because of a regulatory issue or because of a political uh, situation in British Columbia. This was Justin Trudeau, minutes after getting elected in 2015, unilaterally declaring a, a, a tanker ban and using that as a, uh, as a way to kill Northern Gateway, despite all the First Nations communities in the, in the region that had already signed partnership agreements, uh, despite the fact that that was a deep water port that would have gotten Canadian energy to Asian markets. So uh, under our approval system, under the Conservative plan, it was approved and it was a political decision of Justin Trudeau to kill it, uh, which I believe further emboldened the protesters and, and the opponents of Trans Mountain because they saw that if they exerted enough political pressure, uh, that they could get a political decision uh, to overturn an arm's length independent science-based decision. But we have a similar timeline in terms of the approval of, of Northern Gateway uh, in the time in which uh, your, your time in government ended. 
uh, versus the decision to approve Trans Mountain and to today, about a year and a half or just over a year, that if things could be done within that time frame to, to get the pipeline closer to realization, which of those steps were undertaken to, to get Northern Gateway closer to the finish line? Well, I, I think it's important to remember that Northern Gateway was approved. It was not uh, still going through through the process, and soon after its approval, there wasn't even you know the Justin Trudeau didn't even wait for for uh, uh, provincial government to to throw up roadblocks or for protesters. He he did it himself. So I, I have confidence in in the system that existed that used science, used evidence that uh, heard from stakeholders that allowed First Nations communities to have their say. But at the at the end of the day, if the proponent met those very high Canadian standards. That, that it was greenlit. Our government did a tremendous amount of work to shorten processing times and, and make sure that uh, there were clear benchmarks so that projects weren't killed through attrition or just by waiting it out. Uh, we saw a lot of improvement on that. We saw four major pipelines built in Canada under the previous Conservative government. I think Justin Trudeau has emboldened the protesters. He has uh, failed to do anything about pro- uh, provincial government refusal to acknowledge uh, federal jurisdiction. And now he's sending the signal to investors all around the world you need to partner with the federal government. And what's happening here today is this this $4.5 billion of taxpayers' money, that's leaving Canada. That, that, that's going to a Texas-based company. That's money that's going back into the shareholders of, uh, you know, of an American-based company. This is not a good development for the Canadian economy. Well, yeah, $4.5 billion is the purchase price of the existing assets, but the construction of the pipeline or the remaining construction, that would be above and beyond that. Is that your understanding? Yes, so that, that that price tag could go up, you know. But at, what we do know is that at a minimum, four point five billion dollars of taxpayers' money is leaving the country. It's going to an American-based company. That's that's the starting point. So we're four point five billion dollars in the hole today. Uh, now we have to look at what the construction costs are going to look like. We're still operating under a system where there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty and delays. Those delays will add costs, and now those costs will be borne out by the taxpayer. So it's complete. The the, the minister was asked many times today. Uh, to ballpark the total cost of the expansion project, he was completely unable to do so. But early estimates from uh, experts in the industry are speculating that this $4.5 billion price tag could very quickly reach 12 to $13 billion. And again, this is all something that could have been avoided if a private sector company using shareholders' funds was just allowed to do what they do best, and that is create jobs and opportunity and get the government out of the way of, of blocking that. Well, I mean, a completed and operational pipeline is is a valuable asset. I mean, that's what this company was was hoping to get to. Is it conceivable that if the government can steer this through to completion, that it has a, a valuable asset that a private company would wish to to purchase? You know, we'll see. Uh, there are lots of examples in Canada of, of governments uh, owning and operating. Uh, companies in sectors that should be profitable that aren't, uh, uh, whether it's you know at the provincial level or the federal government uh, federal government level. So uh, I'm not going to uh, to to hold my breath on that. You know, hopefully, uh, you know this isn't a, a terrible story for Canadian taxpayers at the end of the day. But uh, all signs right now are, are leading to a complete bungling of this process. Nothing has been managed well from start to finish on this, and I, I don't know why we would have confidence that suddenly they're going to get their their, their act together. So, um, you know, whether we look at Potash in Saskatchewan, whether we look at uh, uh, Petro-Canada nationally uh, under the previous Trudeau government, there are lots of examples where the federal government owns an asset in a viable industry and can't seem to make money off it. So, um, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Well, what about the federal investment in the auto industry in the 2009 auto bailout? Is this comparable? 
Yeah, it's not, and that's a very good question, uh, and, and, and I appreciate you bringing it. Well, what happened in in the uh, in the collapse during the global uh, recession was that we had a major employer in Canada, uh, uh, companies that, that employed tens of thousands of people, a huge economic engine, on the verge of bankruptcy, and we had an integrated market with the United States that uh, that that uh, was the reason why the Fed why the federal government at the time took action. We do not see that today. We don't have a company on the verge of bankruptcy. We don't have a, an industry in collapse. It would be one thing if uh, the price of oil had fallen to the floor and uh, there was a, a global shock to the energy sector and we had companies that could become viable through a restructuring. We here have companies making lots and lots of money, uh, quite economically sound, providing return to shareholders aren't, that, that are not asking for money, that, that have never said that uh, missing funds is part of the equation. And the, this Liberal government is deciding to use money to bail themselves out of a problem. So the, the, the two situations are starkly different. So assuming we get an election next year, and if we get a conservative government out of that uh, election, what, what would you do then regarding this situation? Or how would you, you move it forward? Well, you know, uh, on the specifics of Transmetal, we'll obviously have to wait and see exactly what unfolds, how this uh, ownership is structured, you know, where we are at in 2019. You know, if we're still in a situation where we're mired in court delays, that's one thing. If we do actually see some kind of progress, uh, that's another. But what we, what I can assure you is that a Conservative government would restore confidence in the sector by repealing Bill C-69, the regulatory changes, by repealing the tax, uh, the carbon tax, by removing the double standard on upstream and downstream emissions, which killed Energy East. That was a Liberal government decision to give preferential treatment to foreign oil. Uh, we would uh, reverse that decision, and we would invite the proponents of Northern Gateway and Energy East back to the table uh, to, to, to get Canadian energy out to markets. A lot of questions going forward. Andrew Shear, thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate this. Thank you very much. All right. Well, there's Andrew Shear, leader of the Federal Conservative Party. And, I mean, he's, he's right that we should be worried about the price tag here. What are we getting for the $4.5 billion? And what more is Ottawa going to have to sink into this project? And are we going to recoup that money? Uh, he says it's a big difference, significantly different from the auto bailout. And, I mean, he has a point in that, you know, the industry itself was in jeopardy. But I think the parallel here is that you could argue this project is in jeopardy. Uh, the government took an ownership stake in the auto companies, just like the government's taking an ownership stake in this project, to try to save it and then sell it down the road. And keep in mind, we did end up losing money on that whole auto bailout, too, even once those shares were sold. So is there a parallel here? Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.